Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany, Spotlight on the State Government. My guest is Zach Williams, and here he's here to talk about this week in state government starting Monday, February 10th. So, Zach, has it been an exciting week? Oh, there's been a bunch of budget hearings, uh, plenty of protests, first meeting of the governor's uh, Medicaid redesign team tasked with finding savings for the budget. Uh, a lot going up, going on up in Albany. So before we get started with the, with the uh, state government stuff, I want to touch a little bit on um, Michael Bloomberg. Uh, since Biden is not doing very well, uh, Bloomberg's name comes up more and more and more. From your perspective, what do you think is going on? Well, Mike, Michael Bloomberg, the former New York City, got into the race rather late, so he decided to skip the Iowa caucuses and the primaries in New Hampshire and, and South Carolina, and was hoping to land with a bang on Super Tuesday in early March when a whole bunch of states are voting. And he's just been spending so much money, uh, somewhere around $300 million already, uh, you know, buying airtime, wow. buying digital advertisements. And he's even been getting into the meme-making game lately on social media. So, um, you know, they've been talking about um, stop and frisk. And he was saying that, you know, he regrets doing that as a policy. Um but, you know, as a New Yorker and following state government, the thing that most people don't know is, well, I guess he was a Republican at the time, that he donated money towards the uh, Senate, uh, the Senate Republicans for them to stay in power. If the majority of people knew that, would that make a difference? Well, I think uh, Bloomberg's record as a party jumper at, at various times, he's been a Democrat, a Republican, an independent, including as a Republican and an independent as mayor during his three terms. So I don't think, you know, more any more revelations about how he's donated to Republicans will probably hurt him very much. It seems like his record is pretty well established on that. However, start, stop and frisk is remaining, it does remain an issue with him. You know, this past week it came out, this old recording from uh, some years back where he was describing how, you know, if you want to fight crime, you should go into minority neighborhoods. You know, at the time, um, comments like that were pretty regular for the mayor. It was a big booster of stop and frisk. Once he got ready to jump in the race, he tried to distance himself from the policy that he promoted endlessly as mayor and credited with lowering crime to record lows in New York City. And then this latest video came up. But I think it really just goes to show how much uh, good publicity and crisis management money can really buy. He bought himself a third term. Is that going to make a difference on the national level, a third term for mayor? Well, I think the bigger issue isn't so much that he ran for re-election for a third term after coaxing the New York City Council to pass a law that would allow him to do so, despite term limits, because, you know, it's not like you can do that so easily as president. There is a constitutional amendment that limits you to two terms, 10 total years uh -huh. in office as president. But I think it all goes back to um, 
both the central strength and the central weakness of his candidacy, which is that he's so rich, has so many resources, but at the same time for a Democratic Party that's been so focused on wealth uh, inequality and, um, you know, is opposing another New York billionaire, Donald Trump, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the amount of tolerance that primary voters in the Democratic Party have for a billionaire like Bloomberg might be tested by, you know, more details like how he bought that third term through his personal wealth. Mm. So what's going on on the state level that people should know? Well, it's been pretty quiet in the legislative chambers in terms of lawmaking. You know, both the Senate and the Assembly passed uh, some various bills. I think the real action has been in the budget hearings. We had education this week, economic development. Um, and taxes, among a couple other different topics. So, you know, this is really the time where the lawmakers not so much hear new information, but kind of give us hints of, you know, not only whose opinions are keeping in mind, you know, but also, you know, the issues that they think are most important for any one topic based on who they let testify. Because after all, you only have so much time during the day when you can hear from folks. It really comes down to the Senate and Assembly Finance and Ways and Means Chairs to decide who gets to speak on the record in front of the cameras and who doesn't. And well, in mm-hmm. terms of education, I think Democratic lawmakers are back at it, trying to get more money for foundation aid. Um, they say that because of this uh, 13-year-old lawsuit that the state still owes billions of more uh, funding, Governor Andrew Cuomo has a totally different viewpoint on that. So this is the latest uh, attempt of them to kind of go over the head of the governor. I think it, it's pretty unlikely that they're going to win total victory, but they might have, might be able to at least nudge him a little bit higher on some of these education numbers. But a big issue that I think isn't getting enough attention is taxes. You know, there's a $6.1 billion deficit. Governor Cuomo right. calls it a spending problem. He says we need to cut spending. One way or another, key way he's doing that is through what he calls the Medicaid redesign team, which has been tasked with finding $2.5 billion in savings in the Medicaid program. I think we talked a little bit about that last week. So, but, um, you know, lawmakers, activists, and some other folks, uh, especially in the assembly, you know, really believe that this isn't a spending problem. This is a revenue problem, that there's plenty of different ways that the state can raise more money, at least by raising taxes one way or another on the most wealthy individuals in the state. Mm. So anything else going on? Well, like I said, we had that first meeting of the Medicaid redesign team, which is only going to give the lawmakers two weeks to see the recommendations before they have to pass the budget. And, but another big thing in state politics, really something that's more about national politics. I'm sure a lot of your listeners out there heard about how um, the Trump administration um, essentially froze New Yorkers' applications for the trusted traveler program, which means that they can't, you know, basically get th- across the border, you know, in the express lane, if you will. This can make a big difference for the economies, you know, especially those in western New York, given their proximity to some of the larger cities in Canada, Toronto, for example. Um, so Governor Cuomo swallowed his pride, asked for a meeting with President Trump, went down to Washington. They met for an hour. They said they made progress. But, uh, you know, as, as the piece I came out with today, the analysis of the whole thing, you know, it's just yet another time where Trump has gotten the governor to come down, 
kisses ring and not a lot has come out of it. You know, that said, the governor is still expressing optimism that that they can get the, you know, reach a middle ground with the Trump administration where they'll give a little bit of access to state DMV records that would allow the federal government to vet applications for this trusted traveler program. But really, as some revelations that came out in BuzzFeed, a, a memo from the Department of Homeland Security makes pretty clear is that the real reason that the Trump administration froze these applications wasn't because they felt that the new law that went into effect in December that allows undocumented people to get driver's licenses somehow jeopardizes border security. What the memo from DHS that was reported by BuzzFeed showed was that really this was a political retribution, um, part of Trump's negotiating uh, um, style with states, um, with Democratic leaders like New York. And in a presidential tweet, no less, the the president um, even made that even more clear, saying that if, if Cuomo wants to make things happen on this trusted traveler program, then what they really need to do is um, is you know drop lawsuits against the federal government, lower taxes, and you know basically ease up on their opposition to federal immigration policies. That's not going to happen under the Cuomo administration. That's just too high of a political price to pay. And already people are saying quid pro quo. Yet again, um, you know, Jerry Nadler, the congressman and chair of the House Judiciary Committee, being probably the highest profile person to say that, you know, because uh, it was a situation like this that um, got Trump impeached to begin with. You know, that said, there are some differences with the whole Ukraine affair. At the very least, it wasn't like Trump was telling Cuomo to start an investigation into one of Trump's political opponents. That said, huge departure from precedent yet again from President Trump and how he's dealing with this driver's license situation in New York. Mm. Tell us a little bit about the driver's license thing, because I remember many a few years back, maybe more than a few years, it was controversial for Kathy Hochul. When she was so the county clerk. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's easy to forget that before 9-11, undocumented people could get driver's licenses in New York State. Not because a law was passed to necessarily allow them. It was just that you didn't need to prove your citizenship at all to get a driver's license. That changed after 9-11 because of George Pataki. And the reasons why he did that weren't so much to keep undocumented people from doing it. it, it more reasons more specific to the time. Now, Kathy Hochul is now the lieutenant governor, but used to be um, the Erie County clerk, as well as a congresswoman from western New York, opposed uh, driver's licenses for undocumented immigrants once they came up during the Spitzer administration in, I believe, 2006 or seven. And, mm-hmm. you know, Spitzer tried to go around the legislature on this one by doing it through an executive order. That, that ended up blowing up in his face and of course, Spitzer wasn't around uh, very long in the governor's mansion for totally unrelated reasons to continue pressing. Last year, when state Democrats finally did you know, pass the law, a key reason why was because of these various bureaucratic obstacles that were written into the bill that would prevent federal immigration officials from accessing the records of undocumented people. The reason being that undocumented people wouldn't be inclined to get driver's licenses if those records would be available to the federal government, specifically to help them deport those very same people. Now, 
there's been some confusion about whether the, uh, Governor Cuomo's um, offer to compromise a little bit by letting the federal government take a look at some records for people that apply to this um, trusted traveler program. But you got to keep in mind that undocumented people, you know, not only would not be applying for such a program, they're not going to be crossing the border back and forth in that standardized way anyways. You know, it's only they're trying to avoid the trying to do the very opposite, which is to keep um, a low profile and, of course, never be anywhere near immigration officials. Mm. Uh, now, I remember in, it was in 2007, and it became an issue, and I think it was it began the downfall of Hillary Clinton when she talked about it in a debate. Um, do you remember that? Oh, I can't remember offhand, but, you know, the the – this issue of driver's license for undocumented immigrants has been a political lightning rod for so many different elected leaders in so many different states from, you know, California to New York and many others. I think a, a, a real good point that um, proponents have brought up is the fact that, you know, in states across the country, there's already been people who are undocumented gain driver's licenses and the, the Trump administration hasn't, um, you know, frozen any of them out of this uh, traveler program yet. Um, you know, I think it's, it might be no coincidence that Governor Cuomo has taken a pretty adversarial position towards uh, Trump at times. And that, you know, as BuzzFeed found with that DHS memo, you know, this is all just a political game and just another way for Trump to, um, you know, take it out on his political rivals. Governor Cuomo endorsed Joe Biden very early. It looks as though Joe Biden is kind of on his way out. So did, from your perspective, did Governor Cuomo think that Joe Biden would be a way for him to get out of Albany and back to Washington? Well, I think Governor Cuomo is a, a a pretty smart political operator who never likes to close the door on a political opportunity without opening a window. He has all but a name endorsed um, Joe Biden for the presidency months and months ago. Although if you ask him, he would say he never officially endorsed anybody. That said, he certainly made some very nice remarks about Biden that he was most qualified for the position and opened his fundraising network, no less to the former vice president. I think what Mm -hmm. we are seeing though, is that a lot of political allies, not least um, Suffolk County um, Executive Steve Ballone, who was the first person elected official in New York to endorse Bloomberg, are all getting in line behind the former New York City mayor. And, you know, whether the whether Governor Cuomo does it explicitly or not, I think we can surmise that he is starting to shift and take it and and keep an eye on what Bloomberg's doing. Whether or not he wants to get out of New York and, and take a position in any future administration, whether it be vice president or some type of high-profile cabinet position, you know, we'll only know when there's an actual offer on the table, and that really is going to depend on who is the eventual Democratic nominee. For now, Cuomo says that he's very happy as governor of New York, but we've heard from politicians from both parties over the years that very quickly their satisfaction with their current job 
can uh, take a turn once a fresh new opportunity comes up to, to move up in national politics. So is there anything going on with the uh, Senate Democrats? How is uh, Andrew Stewart Cousins doing? Well, it's been a bittersweet week for the state Senate Democrats. On the one hand, they announced a deal within their conference to change the new, newly implemented criminal justice reform. You know, this included new limits on cash bail, and they've just been slammed by the Republicans, who sometimes have used some kind of uh, specious reasoning, but have nonetheless gained some traction in undermining public support for these reforms. Now they got a deal that state Democrats said is, unfortunately, it can directly conflicts with what uh, Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty has said he wants to do, which is to take, you know, to slow things down, get some good data on how the newly implemented criminal justice reforms are playing out, and then take it from there. His timetable obviously means you know months rather than days uh, or weeks, as the state Senate Democrats are uh, considering in terms of changes on bail. So now there's a, you know, a direct division between these two democratically controlled um, houses. State Senate wants to move one way. The assembly wants to move another. It's likely that some type of common ground will have to be found in the budget process itself. But for now, you know, the state Senate Democrats are both being praised by people who do want changes to the bail law and vehemently, criticized by activists on the political left as essentially uh, selling out to the Republicans and other critics of bail reform. I'm looking at your Twitter feed right now and your latest Twitter feed, your latest uh, post was after nearly 3,000 pages, LBJ is finally uh, president. What book are you talking about? The light's at the end of the tunnel for my uh, Three, four thousand, five thousand page journey through the works of Robert Caro. He's a former okay. journalist and a wonderful writer who wrote The Power Broker, a 1100 page book that's not just a biography of uh, Robert Moses, for former uh, Parks Commissioner and all around power broker in New York State politics, but really a study of power itself. While The Power Broker is a wonderful and formidable book uh, filled with all sorts of great information about New York State history and politics mm-hmm. and political dynamics, the true challenge is the, is, um, the LBJ series, a five-part series. Only four of the books have been published yet. And now I finally have gone to the point after 3,000 pages where LBJ finally has achieved his uh, life dream of becoming president. Although, of course, we all know in the most difficult of circumstances following the assassination right. of John F. Kennedy. Mm-hmm. You know, I I have to, I have uh, the LBJ's book, Kara's book about LBJ on my notes, and I read The Power Broker. What's interesting is that um, the works of, you know, the things he wrote about uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson, he wrote in a number of volumes. But with the power broker, it was one volume. And I, I remember reading his uh, publisher or editor wanted him to eliminate specific chapters. And he eliminated the chapter on Jane Jacobs, which I think is really a sad thing. 
and I was I'm I'm wondering if at some point he wants to uh republish the chapters that were um left out. Because I think Jane Jake's story is important because she was about the only person who stood up to um to Robert Moses in his heyday. What do you think? Well, I think the omission of Jane Jacobs was something that struck me when I was reading the book. You know, if, for your listeners out there, Jane Jacobs was a community activist and urban planner who opposed um, Moses's attempts to build an expressway through Greenwich Village on Broom Street that would have, com- you know, um, completely changed the nature of Lower Manhattan. She eventually rallied uh, the local community, some powerful folks, to back, you know, to get Moses to back off. And, you know, that along with the, the effort by um, Jack, um, Jackie Kennedy Onassis to save uh, the original tent, or sorry, with, uh, to save Grand Central Station, as well as the, effort, the unsuccessful effort to save the original Pennsylvania Station, were kind of, you know, marked the beginning of the historic preservation movement, not just in New York, but, you know, across the country. So the mm-hmm. omission of Jacobs is certainly, uh, you know, a, a curious um, and unfortunate, um, you know, part of some really fascinating political history that's not in the power broker. You do got to right. keep in mind, though, that the, per- the first person to actually kind of stop Robert Moses from doing something was, and, I, and the name's escaping right now, but it's the founder of Shakespeare in the Park. Robert Moses okay. wanted to kick them out of uh, Central Park, where they have their, you know, the Shakespeare performances every year. And, you know, all because of just kind of a, a personal animus towards the um, towards the performance. It got picked up by the local media, and eventually Moses had to back down. And that was really the first time that Moses was ever stopped. You know, a secret of his, of his success was mm-hmm. his ability mm. to summon uh, so public we, support for years and years. I mentioned Andrea Stewart-Cousins. Now, the speaker, uh, Carl Hasty. At the very beginning, I don't think the relationship between Hasty and Cuomo was that warm. How's he doing now? Well, I'm sure the governor's fairly, uh, you know, getting a little happier with Andrea Stewart Cousins considering uh, this Senate position on bail reform, which mirrors the governor's own. I think it's important while there's some very, you know, this is a very serious breakdown in relations between the Senate and the Assembly over bail. It doesn't seem to extend to the personal relationship between Stewart Cousins and Hasty, at least not publicly. There was a report um, from Zach Fink of New York One about how they haven't spoken in some time. I don't know exactly what that means in terms of whether they're actually getting along or they just haven't had an opportunity to get together. Considering the fact though, that they've highlighted uh, how well they worked together last year, even dubbing themselves the Wonder mm-hmm. Twins, I think it's fair to say that things are at a low point rather than anywhere near a mid or high point between Hasty and Stewart Cousins. But budgets uh, coming up, they're going to have to work together, so we'll see what happens. And is Cuomo uh, palsy-wowsy with both uh, Andrea Stewart Cousins and Carl Hasty? Well, you know, it's always hard to know what the governor's up to. You know, he... um, you know, only is only in public every so often, and he's just you know his um, his power and influence extends in so many different ways. You know, I one thing that hasn't happened this year is any sort of controversy yet. 
between the governor and Stuart Cousins or the governor and Hasty. You might recall a year ago on Valentine's Day, no less, when Amazon pulled out of the deal to set up a, a satellite headquarters in Queens. You know, right. Cuomo really went after the Senate Democrats, um, particularly those from Long Island, as well as Stuart Cousins, and that that really soured what had been a pretty, you know, uh, happy beginning to the legislative session last year when the lawmakers uh, in both houses and the governor were kind of celebrating the Democrats' new dominance of Albany. But that didn't last uh, once Amazon broke Andrew Cuomo's heart. Wow. So uh, to, this weekend is caucus weekend. And the final question is, you know, there's uh, this controversy revolving around the Black and Puerto Rican caucus, you know, and maybe a couple of sentences. Can you sum that up? Well, the caucus weekend is put on by the um, by the Association of Black and Puerto Rican Legislators, which is a registered nonprofit. Now, there have been reports that basically the nonprofit in past years had um, raised a lot of money donated very little to scholarships as it's supposed to, and really just left a paper trail that was filled with big, big questions about its management and what its ultimate purpose was. Assemblywoman Latrice Walker, who's now the chair, has um, been trying to avoid these uncomfortable questions, and she's only been so Mm. successful considering how the Times Union in particular has just not given up on uh, trying to find the truth of the matter. Wow. So uh, caucus weekend is this weekend, and then the uh, lawmakers will be on a little vacation, right? One week they got off. Uh, everything will they'll be back in Albany once again the week of the twenty. Uh, I guess the week of the twenty fourth. Okay, so Zach, you and I will talk again two weeks from now, and you can give me and all my listeners an update of what's going on. So as I close every show, give yourself a little plug. Well, I cover Albany for City and State Magazine. We cover both uh, state and New York City politics. And your listeners can keep up with my work at Zach Reports on Twitter. Terrific, Zach. So you have, uh, will you be on vacation for the week or what's on your agenda for next, next week? Oh, just work, work, work. There's always politics to cover in New York. But you won't be up here, right? Only for caucus weekends and a week back in New York City. Okay, so you're coming up this weekend, and then you're going home for the whole week, right? Next week? Yep. Good. So we'll talk. We will talk in two weeks. So you have been listening to Zach Williams, and he writes for City and State. This is focused on Albany, spotlight on state government. And if you like, focus on Albany. Like us on Twitter. Follow, um, follow us. Uh, I'm sorry. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. And thank you, Zach. It's always so much fun to talk to you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great have a great uh, day, and maybe you'll run into us at, at the uh, Black and Puerto Rican Caucus. Have a good day. Bye.